Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that isn't afraid to tackle the biggest and toughest issues in the property world. Today, it's time to take a look at Savills' annual Impacts Research Programme, which this year is grasping the nettle of global disruption. Everybody feels disrupted today, and, and they should. Uh, disruptions are a real thing. And we'll be finding out whether disruption is a threat or an opportunity. It's all about ensuring that assets are fit for purpose in today's age. I'm Guy Ruddle and with me are two people who, judging by the scale and scope of the Impacts 2019 project, must have devoted most of their lives to it. Sophie Chick is head of Savile's World Research Team. Hello, Sophie. Hi. And Paul Tostevin is a director in that team. Hello, Paul. Hello. It has been your lives, has it, has it not, uh, this project? It definitely has, um, particularly since January. It's been quite all-consuming. We'll also be getting the view from Asia and the US. But before we do that, Sophie, this is the biggest research project of the year for Savills. What are you trying to achieve with it? So it it is our one big global flagship thought leadership program. What we're trying to do is we're trying to inform our clients on issues that are global and topical. So while Paul and I sit in the World Research Department, what we do is we have contributions from people who work in research departments for Savills across the globe. So we take in all of these different articles, all of these different opinions, and we look at what where the global trends are. So we're able to bring that information all together. And Paul, to choose to say that this is the, the basis of this this year is disruption for impacts. Why, why disruption? So we hinge it on the theme of disruption um, as a big overarching topic. I think it's often perceived as a, as a negative force, but actually there's huge opportunity there as well. Um, and a lot of what this publication sets out to do is to identify those opportunities and the challenges that the real estate industry faces. And when we say disruption, what, what do we mean? I, I mean, are there lots of different types of disruption? There are numerous types of disruption that are impacting the real estate industry. We've really broadly put everything into four different categories, politics and policy. You've got technology, it's a pretty obvious one. We've got social change and environmental change. And so let's explore those a little bit. I mean, the politics, it seems, you know, are we talking populism and... Yep. So that's definitely one of the key topics. One of um, one of our lead articles is looking at what impact populism can have on prosperity, um, and in turn looking at what impact that will have on real estate property. Um, we're looking at that at the very big, broad picture things. We're also looking more targeted at policies that can impact different sectors. So, for example, the prime residential market is a sector that globally has been influenced by different policies, really targeting it and looking to control that market. Mm. And technology, Paul, I mean, is it as obvious as, you know, uh, it's changing jobs and it's changing the way we shop and things like that? Technology is clearly a huge one. Um, at the most visible has been the rise of e-commerce and the impact on retail and internal logistics. Um, we cover that, but actually we look at some others. So we look at, for example, the, the rise of autonomous vehicles. And I think we're only just seeing the tip of the iceberg there. Um, that could really transform the real estate of cities. So for, as one example, um, the, the parking requirements in New York City is equivalent to two central parks. If you were to suddenly take that out of the equation, suddenly that's a lot of 
developable land freed up um, and that could really change the dynamics of that city and indeed other cities around the world. And we could talk sort of for hours about all this, the detail of all these different types of disruption things. But I guess the sort of the, the fundamental important question is you know, who's well placed to deal with it and take advantage of it and, and who isn't? Yeah, and I think that that's part of the analysis that we have a look at. So what we wanted to do is have a look at the, the world order of cities, really, because we focused on cities a lot. That's where real estate is focused um, and people are focused. Uh, and what you can see is we've identified a number of cities that we believe are resilient and resilient to a lot of these disruptive forces. And then we've also identified where the challenger cities are. So the cities that you might not have even heard of, but they are up and coming. And in 10 years time, we believe they will be challenging the status quo. And let me guess, Paul, those challenger cities aren't coming from, say, Europe. That's right. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting, in fact, that, that none of those are in Europe or, or North America. Um, so we've got three in, in China, uh, three in India and two in Saudi Arabia. Um, and they range from Hangzhou in, in China, um, home of Alibaba. So real kind of tech center on, on the rise there um, to, to Delhi in India, which is uh, the, the seat of government in India, um, slightly cheaper, cheaper than Mumbai, um, huge growth potential in, in those centers. And from your perspective, Yuti, what, what, what are those cities doing right or what sort of advantage have they got in the future? So we've looked at three factors. So you've got the city wealth, the personal wealth and the demographics. And demographics is increasingly important when you have a look at um, the influence that millennials are having on real estate and what changes they're almost forcing companies to put through with their changing behaviours. Let's hear from the Asia-Pacific region now. A short while ago, I spoke to Chris Marriott, who's Savile's CEO in Southeast Asia, and I asked him how those issues of disruption are impacting his region. The fact that uh, Asia-Pacific, or the broader part of Asia-Pacific's been in um, an emerging market or frontier market status means that we've lived with change for the last two or three decades and what do you think are the sort of biggest disruptors? Is it, is it economic? Is it tech? Is it population? I think when we talk about disruption, it's uh, normally linked to technology. But I think in the context of Asia Pacific, we're really talking about the huge demographic shifts and the shift of population into urbanization, as well as the growth in uh, the economic uh, aspect of the economies around this part of the world and the drive for infrastructure growth. We've seen China uh, move from the countryside into the city at a rate of knots. So in 1978, 18% uh, of the population were based in cities. 2017, the most recent statistic, indicated just under 60% now in the cities. That's obviously driving a huge housing growth uh, and the need for um, better accommodation for those people living in those cities. And we've seen a huge growth in the e-commerce um, economy within the Asia-Pac region. And uh, alongside that, there's a need for both uh, logistics, distribution networks and last mile delivery, all of which are powered by real estate. When we in this part of the world, i.e. Europe, uh, you think of Asia we often think of China, but but as you said a few minutes ago, it, it, your area is, is, is 
it's not one region, is it? I mean, there are lots of different things going on in lots of different countries. Yeah, I think I, I mean, it's very well published now that uh, China and also India uh, around 1.4 and 1.3 billion population respectively. But I think also uh, people forget that uh, we have places like Indonesia uh, sitting at around 260, 270 million, being the fourth most populous country in the world. And for a lot of people looking at uh, your part of the world, uh, instead of it being a part of the world that's you know, experiencing disruption, for a lot of the rest of the world, you are the disruption. Does it feel like that? Do, do people, people in your part of the world think like that? I, th- I think they do in, in a broad uh, aspect. I mean, you have to understand that um, Asia accounted for 60% of the world's growth in 2017. And I suspect that will be similar for 2018. So it's a significant growth factor. Are there threats as, as part of this? I mean, you could see lots of opportunity, but are, are there threats as well? Well, look, I, I think with any uh, rapid growth, um, you're always going to see periods of expansion and consolidation, um, often often toned as being contraction, but normally it's the overdevelopment and therefore the consolidation, whether it be real estate or infrastructure. It must be a pretty exciting place to live and work. Very much so. So that's Chris Marritt, who's the boss of Savills in Southeast Asia. Uh, Sophie, Paul, you know, I, I do sometimes you know, listen to that sort of stuff or talk about it and think, well, that's what that's that's everything is about that. But I guess that's not really the case, is it? No, I mean, what you're seeing happening in Asia, it depends what type of disruption we're looking at. If we look at population growth, then that is firmly being seen in Asia. When you look at more about the changing behaviour, that actually can be seen globally. So when you look at, for example, the rise of co-working, co-living, co-retailing, that can be seen across Europe, across America and across Asia. Are there overall strategies that property owners or investors or buyers or sellers or whatever should be adopting to deal with all this change? Yeah, I think it comes back to that point that there's there's opportunity in, in the face of disruption and where you're seeing the, the shift to, to online. Um, clearly, there's opportunity in logistics, but also in, in retail spaces that may no longer be fit for purpose. There's there's opportunities too, and examples of them being changed to to office space, um, to to leisure facilities, um, and indeed to to logistics space as well. So it's it's all about ensuring that that assets are fit for purpose in in today's age. It's about flexibility, frankly. Is it about being nimble in a way that perhaps property hasn't been in the past? Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I think we're seeing places and buildings more as space and what the use are can change. I think you're seeing that across not only the sort of flexibility in terms of asset asset classes and evolution within that, but also in terms of geography. And you're seeing the emergence of, of mega regions within Europe that encompass the likes of Amsterdam, Rotterdam, through to Lille in France and Cologne in Germany, um, partly because 
Europe is so densely populated, it actually makes more sense to collaborate um, across country borders. Oh, that's interesting. So it's not. So it's actually different cities in different countries which are working together. Yeah. So whether that be academic institutions or, or business or improving infrastructure to um, fl- the, improve the flow of goods, for example. An area we haven't really talked about yet is the Middle East. You know, when Paul was saying earlier that some of those challenger cities are coming from the Middle East. Why that? Why is that? What, what's happening there that's so exciting? Well, one of the benefits that many of cities in the Middle East have is that they've got a very youthful population. So with the millennials driving change, um, that really helps. And in terms of favourable demographics, they're very well placed. It's a very well placed region. So the one area we haven't really talked about in any great detail yet is the US. So let's let's do that now. Jess Johnson is Savile's head of cross-border transactions in the Americas. So pretty perfectly placed to talk about that part of the world. Hello, Jess. Hey, it's great to be with you. So uh, does the US feel like it's being properly disrupted? <laughs> Everybody feels disrupted today, and, and they should. Uh, disruptions are a real thing. I mean, we see disruption in the United States markets uh, in the growth of co-working across our, our many markets, um, you know, in the industrial sector with last mile delivery and the importance of that in urban centers. Uh, and we see it most perhaps uh, acutely in our labor market where extremely low unemployment and a vicious fight for talent is playing out in the United States and across the world. When it comes to investors um, and and sellers, I think they need to realize that um, preferences are changing. Uh, and let's let's expand that to to office developers as well. Um, you know, workers want to be in vibrant urban uh, mixed use communities. Uh, they they want to be in a neighborhood. Uh, they want to have a healthy place to work. Uh, they want to have more control over their environments. You know, even over the temperature in the room. Uh, and they want work and life to flex very well together. Uh, that's office users. For for retail consumers, and of course the United States economy is so driven by consumption, uh, they want to purchase online, but they want to be able to interact with product in a, in a storefront. Uh, and they want experiences more than material goods. And so I think that you see real estate investors and developers and you see um, consumer goods and uh producers trying to accommodate these preferences as they change. One of the things we were talking about uh, before we started speaking to you was about flexibility and nimbleness. Is that a word? Mm -hmm. It is now. Do you get a sense of of people being nimble over there or or, or is it a a bit of an issue? If there's anything that could perfectly capture the currency of today for companies, it is flexibility. They want to have flexible arrangements for their real estate. They want to have flexibility within the space. And the workers want to have the flexibility to use that space or to use some third space uh, to get their jobs done. But uh, uh, sorry, to so interrupt every, you. sorry to interrupt, yeah. Jess, but are, are the property owners, the landlords, providing that flexibility? Uh, they're certainly trying to. I mean, and that's why we have seen the growth in co-working uh, you know, across the United States and particularly in, in large markets like New York. The service providers like the WeWorks and the Regis and, and others are, are certainly doing that and catering to them. The landlords themselves are very much in that space as well. And it's creating uh, a really interesting reuse of some previously unused assets. There's a race to take up 
the old shopping malls that uh, dot the landscape across the United States and turn them into co-working spaces. So you have companies like Industrious and others that are moving in very rapidly to create that experience for for, uh, office workers. And I, I think it's very interesting that America definitely seemed to be leading the way in a lot of these trends. And uh, the rest of the world does seem to be looking at to America to see what they've been done, what, what's been done. Do you feel as if you're leading the way, Jess? Well, companies certainly are wanting to. Uh, you know, where flexible arrangements may have been a necessity in the past, uh, you know, today I see firms using them very strategically. Uh, if they want to enter a market and bring in a small sales force, they'll set up a, a co-working space first. Um, they also are starting to think about their real estate portfolios just the same way that you and I would think about our investment portfolios. We want to diversify it. Uh, and so we may have some longer-term holds that are traditional leases, but companies are also wanting to have a portion of their portfolio be in flexible arrangements. Uh, and that gives them the agility to respond to um, emerging trends, markets, uh, investor demands, uh, and, and, of course, the ever-fickle consumer. And the other thing we were talking about just before we started speaking to you was about cross-border cooperation. Do you get a sense that that's happening in your part of the world? V- very much so. The, the mega region is is alive and well in the United States. And there's a couple that you could identify, certainly the area um, around New York and, and the Northeast, the area in Florida uh, that is the I-4 corridor of Tampa, Orlando, and Miami, uh, Jacksonville being pulled into that as well. It's It's become... A very interesting place for biotech companies to locate. Uh, certainly, Los Angeles, areas like Houston, these are now functioning as single economies within this larger geographic scope. Uh, what we haven't done in the United States, as well as has happened in Europe and is rapidly happening in Asia, is connecting these geographies uh, with physical transportation. Right. Interesting you mentioned Asia because when we were talking to Chris Marriott earlier, one of the questions that we were discussing with him is whether Asia is a sort of cause of disruption as much as being an area that needs to deal with disruption. Does America feel as if it's sort of threatened by Asia in a way? You know, I think threatened would be too strong of a word. I do think that savvy American uh, politicians and companies and leaders uh, should recognize that China's investments around the globe are strategic. And the United States has you know, enjoyed unprecedented prosperity since the end of the Second World War. Uh, and that's largely due to the fact that we set the rules in many ways, uh, in telecommunications, in financial uh, transactions, uh, et, et cetera. Um, you know, the United States and its allies largely built that infrastructure for the 20th century. Whoever builds the infrastructure for the 21st century is going to wield tremendous influence. Yeah, fascinating. Paul, Sophie, uh, we've now sort of looked at, the, uh, at all the different parts of the world. And I, I haven't quite come to a conclusion as, as to whether the what the challenges each region is facing are, are the same or whether they are very individual. I think there's common themes common challenges um but probably the the overarching theme is that there's there's opportunities for those people those investors those developers that can get ahead of the trends and identify them early and set the trends thank you very much uh, both of you for that and jess but before you all go 
we've got to do the Savile standout statistic, which is slightly more complicated than usual because we you know different people in different parts of the world. I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, when I spoke to Chris Marriott earlier, I asked him about the, his Savile standout statistic. This is what he had to say. My favourite statistic from last year was on the 11th of November. Uh, what was developed by Alibaba, the largest on- online retailer in China, uh, Singles Day, uh, to complement, obviously, Valentine's Day. Uh, during Singles Day, during the 24 hours of Singles Day, we saw a total uh, sales of 31 billion US dollars in the 24 hours. That's 25% of the total annual online sales of the UK. There's a lot of happy single uh, people in China. Right. So that so that's the Chinese uh, standout statistic. Jess, what about you? Give it, what's your standout statistic? Well, since 2009, office using employment in Manhattan has increased by 24%. Uh, the occupied space in Manhattan, on the other hand, has stayed relatively flat. Uh, and I think it's illustrative of the dislocation that has happened in terms of the growth of actual office workers and the space that they occupy. Uh, that relationship has always been very close, and now it's totally dislocated. Uh, and that has big ramifications for not just the owners and developers of these buildings, but also for the tenants that occupy them. Wow. That is a huge change, isn't it? Um, Paul, uh, what's yours? Uh, Mine is 9 billion. That's the global population by 2050. Um, So there's going to be an additional 1 billion people uh, by by that time. And I think really significantly that poses huge challenges for feeding the global population. And there's um, some discussion in the report about new ways to do that, whether that's using insect protein or um, artificial types of protein um, as a way to do that without completely damaging the environment. Never fails to deliver the Savile Standout statistics. Sophie, what, what about you? Okay, my statistic is 317. It's the number of cities that are forecast to have a GDP greater than 50 billion by 2028. And I think why this is important and interesting is it currently stands at just 248 cities. By 2028, more than half of the cities will be in Asia-Pacific, up from less than quarter just 10 years ago. Thank you all uh, for your wisdom, Jess and Sophie and Paul. Uh, That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. I seriously recommend checking out the full impacts publication. It's a pretty impressive and thought-provoking. There is a, a ton of information in there. You can find it not at the usual address we give out on this, uh, on this podcast. So, so listen carefully to this. It's savills.com slash impacts is the address to go to. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.